Let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are in some crazy times. And Lord, it's so easy to have doubt and unassurance and pessimism. But Lord, we know that you're in control. And yet, sometimes going through through the process to the ultimate victory that you have is not always enjoyable. But Lord, I thank you for the grace you give us and the strength you give us. And namely, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, we know we have victory. No matter what happens, Lord, we know you win and you've defeated death. And I pray that today that people would be encouraged with the message today. Lord, may we be focused on knowing you and the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your sufferings. And Lord, if anybody here does not know you, that today, now, would be the time of salvation. And Lord, we thank you so much for liberty to worship May we never take, them for, take it for granted. May we fight for these liberties. But may we also, most importantly, through witnessing, through preaching the cross, may we be faithful witnesses for you. May we be salt. May we be light. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Lee Strobel, I don't know if you've ever heard of Lee Strobel, he's a very successful journalist. He was also an atheist for growing up, who believed there was just too much evidence that God was merely a product of wishful thinking. Well, he had it all. He was successful. Um, he even went to Yale Law School, so he, he was smart. His wife got saved, though, after they got married, and he freaked out. He was thinking the worst was coming. He thought maybe he had become a victim of a bait-and-switch scam, that she was going to change for the worst. Well, Lee Strobel went to Yale Law School and excelled in his position as legal affairs editor of the Chicago Tribune. But, sparked by his wife's conversion and a real change in her life, key, there was a change in her life, in her living, Strobel sought to examine the claims of Christianity and the resurrection using the skills that he attained in his own career, his critical thinking skills, his research skills, to investigate something even if he wouldn't like the result, or even if he would like the result. Well, the Apostle Paul, though religious, he had every reason to boast from an earthly standpoint. He was the top Pharisee. He was the ultimate example of what Pharisees should be like. Even from an earthly perspective, we would look up to him. He was exemplary. 
a man of great earthly accomplishment. So what happened? Well, in the book of Philippians, he's warm and affectionate toward the church at Philippi. He was speaking about Christian unity and the importance of humility, and he exhorted them to go forward and live out their faith because it's not just a bunch of facts. It's not just a, another history book. It's a real and living faith with a living God who defeated the grave and defeated death. So Paul gives us a series of warnings and exhortations in order to live a victorious Christian life. And the first is that he gave us warnings against false teachers and false teachings. As we look here in Philippians uh, chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, if you have your Bible, 1165 and 1166 in the Blue Bible, if you have it, that was our scripture reading. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So let's look at this. First one. We're to love others better than ourselves, like Christ and her servants. Is that, and it's not always easy to love other people, because by nature, we love ourselves better than anyone else. Just admit it, we are selfish by nature. I am too, and it's a struggle. And by the grace of God, we can love others. We don't, we're not to allow Christianity to be reduced to a bunch of rituals, to some Jewish ritualistic religion. And the mistake and the things that happens in relig organized religion sometimes is that we base our Christianity on what, we're, what we do, on the rituals we do, and all the, all the number of prayers we do, and all the good works we do, and that should give us merit with God, that somehow that's going to give us favor with God, and God's going to like us better than, than the one who's backslidden and struggling. Well, false teachers like to bring in works. Do this and live. Jesus said, live and do. Verse 2, be, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Or in the King James, beware of the concision, the mutilators of the flesh. These are the Judaizers, or the legalizers. Outward piety, but their hearts are wicked inside. Um, they were trying to force Paul's converts to keep the law of Moses of, for salvation and sanctification. These are those who glor, whose glory is their shame and those who mind earthly things. What does Colossians 3 say? We're to, we're to set our affection on heavenly things, on things above, not on things on the earth. Israel's program was based on the law. Keep the commandments and you will live. Do these things and you'll be preserved. What is Jesus' command? Believe on me, and you will have everlasting life. And because you have believed, 
You will have a heart that wants to do these things out of love, not I'm going to do these things so I can earn merit with you. A love that's based on do these things and then I'll love you, a transactional, that's not true love. It's a conditional love. So who are these dogs in verse 2? Well, dogs, typically back then they roamed the streets. They were scavengers. As the Jews referred to Gentiles as, they're just dogs. They were the lowest of the low, scum. And Paul referred to the Judaizers as such to describe their sinful, vicious, and uncontrolled character. They taught the attaining of righteousness through works. And a lot of religions today say, do these works and you'll be right with God. And Paul described these teachings as evil. Are you trying to do things to attain favor with God, thinking that if I do, do, do all these things and work, work, work and cross it off a checklist that God will be pleased with that? Or did you come from that? So Paul describes these teachings as evil because any attempt to please God by one's own efforts and draw people's attention away from Christ's redemptive work on the cross is not right. Dogs are always espousing false doctrine. False teachers are always going to tell you, they'll tell you a lot of truth, but they'll throw in just a little bit of deception. And if you're not spiritually discerning, if you're not rightly dividing the word of truth, if, you're not, if you don't understand God's word and you're not in it and seeking God's will and having the Holy Spirit guide you, you will be led astray. You will be tricked. And you'll think, oh, what a godly man. What a godly woman. They, they're just amazing. Without examining, what are they saying? We're to be Bereans. So the Judaizer circumcision was merely physical circumcision. So like the prophets of Baal and pagans who mutilated their bodies in their corrupt rituals, which the Old Testament forbade, they wanted to get favor with God. Verse 3, for we are the circumcision, what? Who worship by the Spirit of God, we glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. Our flesh is corrupt, and don't follow your heart. Your heart is wicked. That's the heart is deceitful above of all things and desperately wicked. You hear that all the time. Paul, I followed my heart and I fell in love and ha 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 ha. Really? So our circumcision is a spiritual circumcision of God of, that occurred when we got saved. He got he made our hearts a heart He removed the heart of stone and made it a heart of flesh. And if anyone be in Christ, he is what? A new creature, creation. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. So when God's... So we have a new life. We should. And when God's Spirit entered into us at salvation, we received his imputed righteousness. God cut, sliced, or separated our spirit and soul from the body of the sins of the flesh. He made us a new creature, a new creation. 
And Paul uses flesh here to refer to man's unredeemed humanity and his own abilities, achievements apart from God. Paul had all the achievements in the world. And he had every reason to look at himself as better than everyone else. The true believer views his flesh as sinful without capacity to attain salvation or please God. What does Romans 3, 10, and 23 say? As it is written, there's everyone is righteous. Does it say that? It says none are righteous. Nobody is righteous. No, not one. For how many have sinned? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So while Paul warned us against the opposition, the false teachers who seek to lead you away from true salvation, he also warns us to guard against our flesh, which brings us to verses 4 through 6. He warns us against self-righteousness, against pride. And that is, one of, that is probably our biggest sin, is pride, the root of it. Pride says, me, I deserve that. I am great. So verse 4, 5, and 6, let's read that. Um, page 1166, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He was esteemed very highly even among Pharisees. And Paul had more excuse than any to be confident in himself, in the flesh. He was exemplary and religious before he got truly converted. When he was on the road to Damascus, when, the Lord, when he encountered the Lord firsthand, his religious accomplishments did not give him eternal life, would not save him. Your good works are but filth. King James calls it dung. Here, it's rubbish. It's futile. There is a tendency to compare ourselves with others. Have you ever found yourself doing that? Comparing yourselves with others. They are so spiritual. Look at them. I can't even get to that level. I am a, a loser. I can't do that. There's no way. They're so pious. They've done so many things. And then we get discouraged and we just don't want to try. What's the point in trying? 2 Corinthians 10.12 says, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. And uh, my daughter and I were going through Proverbs, and it talks a lot about getting godly wisdom and having understanding, knowing God's word. If we understand God's word, we will understand the times. And if we ask God help us to apply what we've understood in his word, in our own practical living, and in making decisions, then we will have a victorious Christian life, even in the midst of peril. And we have so many ex reasons and excuses that we can be depressed and be miserable and hate each other and not want to talk to anybody and be angry. There's a lot of reasons to be angry. 
and be even righteously. But do we live in defeat? Or do we just give up and say, why God, how can you do this? It's very easy to do. God says to ask for wisdom. Get understanding. And if you're focused on him, you will have victory. You can make a difference. And it's beyond who's in office. While it's important, ultimately, no one man can save us. The Lord Jesus can save us. The Lord Jesus can change hearts. He can change the heart of a king. He can change the heart of a father, a mother, a child. Only he can change somebody. We can tell them how to change, but we can't change anybody. So Paul's opposition to the Judaizers was not in any way because he lacked a Jewish pedigree. He was one of them. Circumcised on the eighth day, he had the token of the Abrahamic covenant in his flesh performed as ordained by God. He was circumcised. Look at this in verse 4 through 6. He was circumcised the eighth day like he was supposed to. Paul had a pure Jewish heritage. He was of the stock of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was the best of the best. He was a Pharisee. He was known for tremendous zeal in defending Judaism and for his many good works. And he kept the Old Testament commandments as close to perfect as you could humanly get. And that zeal, there's a lot of people that have zeal. Some riot groups, they have a lot of zeal. They're serious. They have more zeal than a lot of Christians have zeal. But they're wrong. Just because you have a lot of zeal, where's your zeal? Where's your focus at? Paul spoke Hebrew, kept the customs, knew scripture. He was educated to be a leader by the Rabbi Gamaliel. He followed the law strictly, and he believed in angels. He even believed in the resurrection of the dead. So he believed in a lot of things, some good things. But where was his zeal? He ruthlessly persecuted the church of God, the followers of Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry. He was determined to wipe out what he believed to be heretics. And his zeal was... Let's kill them all. And he was on the way to do that when he got converted. God can use the worst of sinners, the chiefest of sinners who've committed the vilest acts, and God can still save them and use them. There is hope. Don't give up praying for your loved ones, don't give up praying for our leaders. My kids and I, we even pray for corrupt leaders, certain leaders who oppose freedom. We pray that God will save them because that's where it starts. Only God can change them. Pray for your loved ones. Don't give up. Even when it seems like there's no way they're going to get saved. They are so entrenched in their religion. There is no way. And that's when, that's, 
That's what Satan wants you to do. Just give up. It's no point. God can't answer you. He doesn't care about you. Right? That's what he wants you to think. So righteousness which is in the law, verse 6, as is to zeal a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So he was blameless. He had approval to do what he was doing. When Stephen was stoned, his robes fell at what? At Saul's feet? Paul warned us against both false teachers and against self-righteousness, but he gives us one more warning that would snare us in our Christian life, and that is in verses 7 and 9, warnings against attaining the world, warning against the love of materialism. I say the love of it. You can have a lot of stuff and use it for good, but if you love it more than God... It's idolatry. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 7 through 9. But whatever, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ and righteousness from God that depends on faith. So Paul gained a new knowledge. All of Paul's Jewish and religious credentials that he believed were profitable were in reality vain and worthless. They were rubbish. He had prestige, he had power, and he obedience to the law prior to salvation. He dotted all his I's, crossed all his T's, he was definitely, you know, kept the law. And people like that will correct you if you're not keeping the law. But ultimately, it was lost. Mark eight thirty six to 37 says, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Gain means profit. Loss is a loss. It's a subtraction. Verse 8, yes, I indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That's a big step. From an earthly standpoint, that is, you've gained, if you gain so much in your life, that is ridiculous, the idea of having to give it all up and start new. Most people don't want to do it. There's too much of a cost. It's too much to lose. How can you do such a thing? What a wasted life. How many of you have heard that? Why are you doing this? Well... You gave it, gave it up for something greater, and that's Christ Jesus. And guess what? If you're a believer, you have attained the greatest victory. You have a living, eternal, breathing hope that nobody can take away from you. They can never take it away from you. John Madden, after every, when they, they you know, the Super Bowl was over, 
and they would announce, you know, the, the Super Bowl champion, he would always say to the champion, they can never take it away from you. And you know what? If you have Christ, they can never take it away from you. No one can pluck it from your hand. So be encouraged, brethren and sisters. You have, if you have Christ, you are, you are eternally secure. You may stumble in this life. You may face consequences in this life for your actions. But eternally, you cannot lose. Now, Paul repeats that I may five times in Philippians, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, Philippians 2.16, that I may be less sorrowful, 2.28, that I may win Christ, in verse 8 in this passage, that I may know him, in verse 10, that I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus, in Philippians 3.12. What is the point? The Father plans to glorify his Son in heaven and on earth, and we can be partakers of this. Because the Christian life is not a game, it's a race. We are always pressing forward. We don't look back. We all of us have skeletons in the closet. Small, some big, some in the middle. But we all have something that people can point at. You did this, you did that. And we're ashamed of it. We're hurt by it. And if we look back and dwell on it, I looked back, so. Um, if we look back and we see our sin catching up to us, we're going to panic and it's going to overtake us because we are so imprisoned by, oh, I did these bad things, I can't be used of Christ, I can't grow, I can't do anything. Well, that's what Satan wants. He wants you to be defeated and not be effective for him. But if we're looking forward, we're just focused on winning that race, on reaching the finish line. So the Christian life is a race, and we win Christ by maturing in God's knowledge. And to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul knows that he cannot be justified and sanctified by his own self-righteous attempts to keep the law. Paul had a righteousness that was produced by the flesh, which cannot save anybody. He put his faith in the faith of Christ, because what is the faith of Christ? He kept the law perfectly. Christ kept the law. He believed that what the Father said he would do, he would accomplish, and he obeyed. He uh, he submitted himself, and he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Without what Christ did, and trusting that what the Father's plan was, we would not have any hope. He could not go to the cross, could not be raised from the dead, if Christ did not put his, himself in the hands of God the Father. He kept the law perfectly, Christ's faith was perfect. We are saved by believing in what Christ did for us. It's not in our own works. And what God tells us in his word was that salvation 
is by faith, not by works. It's by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Paul gave us warning. I've got to move here, but Paul gave us warnings to guard against false teachers, self-righteousness, and putting earthly attainments as paramount. He also gave us a couple of exhortations here to close that will assure us of victory in the Christian life. And verses 10 and 11 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrections and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest event in the history of mankind. It is fact. It is something that gives us encouragement and assurance because we have a faith that is living. No other religion or faith can, can claim that. Paul gained a new power. Paul emphasized gaining a deeper knowledge and intimacy with Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ emphasizes the full extent of Christ's power. He defeated death. Without the resurrection, we have no hope. For I delivered unto you of first importance also uh, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to the scriptures, that he was buried. Not only that, but that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. What is the fellowship of his sufferings? It's a partnership, a deep communion of suffering that every believer shares with Christ. This should bring us great comfort. You should be comforted that we have victory in Christ. We can share in that. We can look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The most provable thing in history, it is, and it, to, to skeptics, it bothers them. But to us, it's joy. And it shows us our faith is real. Being made conformable unto his death means that Paul wants to be comforted and to be transformed, to become more like Christ on a deeper level, such that Christ lives in him and through him 100% of the time. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul gained a new knowledge. The resurrection that Paul is referring to is someone that has been identified with Christ at salvation and is seeking to live out that identity life in their daily walk. So we are baptized spiritually into Christ at salvation. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We identify with his death, burial, and resurrection. Those who suffer with and for Christ will attain the resurrection from the dead even as Christ did. So let's wrap this up. So he gives us a warning against false teachers. He gives us a warning against... It's becoming self-righteous. He also gives us a warning against the love of worldly gain and materialism, and he exhorts us to know the importance of Christ's resurrection. Living the Christian life means rejecting false teaching, self-righteousness, and love of the world, and following Christ and identifying with his bodily resurrection. So the most important, excellent knowledge is to know Jesus Christ. And brethren... If you know Jesus Christ, you 
can know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, and you are being conformed to the image of Christ. And he will finish the work in you that he has started. So no matter what happens in this world, whether we have freedom or whether we're taken over by a totalitarian power, we can still be a salt. We can still be a light. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. Don't let this pandemic make you afraid of people. Because that's, that's what I see a lot of. People are afraid. You don't need to be afraid if you have Christ. The, so Lee Strobel, what a, why is Lee Strobel, uh, why did I even bring him up? Well, after nearly two years of searching, he came to the realization that the evidence was overwhelming in favor of Christ's bodily resurrection. As a result, he became a Christian. He went from a mere mental ascent of Jesus' deity to a personal saving relationship in Jesus Christ. He asked the, the top doctors, the top scholars, he asked skeptics. And he really dug. He used his skills, his critical thinking and his research skills, and he examined this out. He didn't tell his wife either until he came back saying, I tried to prove this wrong and I couldn't. There was just too much evidence that the resurrection of Jesus Christ happened as scripture says it did and as history says it did. And he got saved. And he also, um, when he got saved, the formula, believe, receive, become, if you've believed and you've received, you are becoming more like Christ. That should give you joy. And six months after, his daughter, through his example, got saved. And now, and then he became a teacher, a pastor. I think he went to this very church that his wife took him when he was a skeptic. He, I believe he pastored that church, or he went there afterwards and eventually became a, 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 a Bible teacher and professor, and he's authored a bunch of books. So, the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And let me close with this verse. We have every reason to rejoice. Philippians 3, verse 13 through 14. Brethren, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Look forward and keep running. Look forward. Don't look back. If you look back, you're going to trip. You're going to slow down. And I think we've all done that at some point, looking back. Because I remember I would look back and I'd see people catching up to me. The focus is going forward. Don't give up. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much, Lord, that we can study your word and that we have victory and that we have a living, breathing faith. And Lord, I pray today that salvation would come to those who don't know you. I pray that people would search it out, would study and um, ask questions. We just thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.